Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another very special, very doubled episode of Star Trek Lower Decks versus Filmation Star Trek. We are part of Uncanny Treks. I am Bob in Cascadia. That is Matt in the Southland. Matt, how the hell are you doing tonight? Doing all right, Bob. I'm going to be honest with you. You know, it's been a week since I watched this episode. I remember most of what happened. You know, watch my recaps and stuff on YouTube to make sure I didn't miss any little Easter eggs. So I think I'm pretty good, but... Apologies for us having these little breaks. Our technology is giving us issues, but we will be back to regularly scheduled episodes weekly once we get all that fixed. Yeah, yeah, and if uh, the people really want us weekly, uh, patreon.com slash uncanny tracks. Yeah, go for it. We could quit our day yeah, jobs. We yeah, could be yeah. influencers. I, I, <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I just want to stress for me that day jobs, plural, is correct. Yeah, that's <laughs> I got three of them, man. I got yeah, three of them. Just three. No biggie. Just three. You only need, what, six hours of sleep? You're good. All right. Yeah, it's fine. It's fine. All right. So uh, tonight we're talking about the episode eights of Lower Deck Season 4 and Filmation Star Trek Season 1. And then we're talking about the episode nines of Lower Deck Season 4 and Filmation Star Trek Season uh, 1. So that's uh, Caves, which originally aired on the 19th of October, 2023, the Lower Decks episode 8. Magics of Megas 2, which originally aired on the 27th of October, 73. That's Filmation uh, episode 8. And then we've got, what is it? Is it the inner? I thought it was the inner flight at first, but apparently I am. Uh, what's the word for that? Uh, oh, well. There are lots of words I could use there, but I... I Dyslexic. Yeah. <laughs> okay. That's regard, regarded as another one, perhaps. Yeah, like um, but, yes. Uh, Don't, be dissing, Don't be dissing, Bob. Don't be dissing. Yep. Inner, inner Fight, uh, 27th of October, 2023, is our penultimate episode of Lower Deck Season 4. And then, finally, Once Upon a Planet is Episode 9 of Filmation Star Trek. Uh, not in any sense the penultimate episode of Filmation Star Trek Season 1, but the next-to-last Filmation Star Trek episode we're going to cover for right now until Lower Deck Season 5 returns. So, Matt, uh, what is the plot of uh, the Caves episode of Lower Decks? Well, the plot is this is an anthology episode where they talk about several adventures they have had in Caves. Yeah, yeah. As the name would suggest, it's an anthology episode about caves. Yeah. So, Matt, I guess to lead off with, since this is a debate among the Fantastic Four, would you consider yourself pro or anti-cave? Well, Bob, I have journeyed into three different caves in my lifetime, and absolutely nothing of interest happened in any of them. Well, was one of them the uh, a cave with a spring attached, perhaps, Matt? Cave with a spring? No, no. It was all, uh, oh, oh, Cave Springs. Oh, yeah, I see what you're saying. Yes, Bob, <laughs> one is, well, that is one of them. Another was in Texas, in San Antonio, Texas. And the other one is in uh, Ruby Falls. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I, uh, I, yeah, I've been to the Ruby Falls one, although I'd forgotten it until you said it. Uh, I've obviously been to Cave Springs. And I feel like I went into a cave at the Natural Bridge in Virginia, but I, I can't remember for sure if I did. I don't know. I feel like I'm more pro cave than you, but I you have much more distinct memories of caves, so I'm not really sure what that says about my memory or intelligence. Well, Bob, it's probably when you, when you go into a cave, there's just nothing really to look at, and it's kind of cold, and real just everything just seems kind of damp and muggy, and you're way under the ground. So if you're even a slight bit claustrophobic, you're gonna feel it. Not storm, so I'm fine with yeah. that. And uh, you know, as a guy who suffers from eye strain, I like not having much to look at yeah yeah <laughs> i'll tell you caves so, are so interesting aren't they bob 
<laughs> so did this uh, episode strike you as, uh, say, a little more postmodern, a little more self-conscious than uh, prior uh, Lower Decks episodes? Yeah, Bob, this episode was very self-aware, just kind of them talking about what's going on show-wise. Like, it's, they didn't quite break the fourth wall or anything at this point, but mm-hmm. I feel like there was much more self-awareness in this episode than in others we've seen. Yeah, it was like they felt like they had to hard go back to the Fantastic Four, yes. Rutherford, Boimler, Mariner, and Tindy after episodes where they're still the most important things about the show, but they've branched the show out a little and are doing more ongoing plots, etc. Um, it's different. It just It hit me with this particular episode, and then we'll talk about it a little bit more in the next episode, uh, you know, the ninth episode, but this one definitely some self-awareness toward the beginning. Yeah, yeah. And I guess to go back to the cave issue, um, there was a line, uh, just the right amount of moist. I can't remember if that was like a Rutherford or a Tendi line, but uh, I think I'm going to start using that line to troll my boy, Alan, who thinks moist is the most disgusting word in the English language. Okay, Bob, I tried my absolute best to come up with another word that I hate, and I I did research actually on it because I could not, I know there are words out there that are worse. The only one I could come up with was gestate. See, I, I, I think that just shows that you're sexist and anti-childbirth, Matt. Gestate. It's being created. Yeah, yeah. Gestate just sounds gross. It's gestating. <laughs> Ge- ge- gestation. Gestation. I I it sounds gross. gross. No, it, it's disgusting sounding. Gestation. There's something about that word. I, see, I think this is kind of the inverse of, while I'm not horrified, I'm not horrified by moist and uh, gestate. Do you remember um, Donnie Darko? Yes, I do remember Donnie moist. Darko. So oh, I know, I know where you're, film, I know where you're going with this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That film, that film has this, and it's a meme that goes beyond the film and predates the film. But they talk about cellar door mm-hmm. being the most beautiful phrase in the English language, and I like in the same way that I, I don't have anything against cellar or door, but it doesn't do anything for me. I don't think it's particularly beautiful, nor do I think moist or gestate is particularly <laughs> aesthetically uh, offensive. Well, Bob, we all have opinions. And most people think that cellar door is one of the most beautiful words because it was in Donnie Darko, and that's what Drew Barrymore said. Again, I, I it predates <laughs> the it predates the movie. Drew Barrymore no, was canceled though, Bob. So I don't I don't yeah, follow her. Yeah, and she, should, she one of the rare cancellations where they should have been canceled. I agree, hundred uh, percent. Yeah, screw her for uh, crossing a picket line. Scab. Um, Yep, exactly, exactly. I, I will also say on the subject of cave stuff, uh, I really do like the idea of carnivorous moss in a cave. It's a very cool idea. Can you imagine having to go into like a cave and fight off wild plants? Or even if you had wild plants on your way to work, you know, you're just driving along the side of the road, you stop at the stoplight, and here come a bunch of like bushes trying to attack your car. Well, Matt, there's a really excellent uh, British uh, horror science fiction film from, I believe, 1961 uh, called Day of the Triffids. We should watch it sometime. It's okay. Really fun. Not to check that it's kind of, out. It's kind of like a zombie film, but with plants. So, Bob, with taking public transportation, would you ward off the plants to help society? <laughs> I can imagine you with your Gatling gun on the side of the uh, bus. <laughs> I actually do. I actually do sometimes do yard work for free for my landlords, just because I like really hate vines and really hate like thorn bushes. Yeah. And I find like a visceral pleasure in like ripping them out. <laughs> so well, there you go, yeah, I, I would, I, you know, I'm, I get really uncomfortable with those people who are very enthusiastic about the zombie apocalypse and, you know, 
clearly just want to murder black people and murdering zombies is the socially acceptable way they feel like they can channel that. I think that's a oh, big opinion but, there, Bob. <laughs> I, am I wrong, Matt? Am no, I wrong? I mean, I I'm not disagreeing with you on that. I think that thank you. You're, thank yeah, you. I mean, our culture loves those zombie things, and I don't know why. And now, yeah, now you know. Yeah, thanks, Bob. <laughs> yeah, you're welcome, Matt. You're welcome. Most people but are that's... racist. That's so sad. It makes me yeah. cry. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> but I'll what better than, what better than Uncanny Treks, folks, to remind you that society is primarily racist, but we yep. love Star Trek. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> One day it won't be. That's the Star yeah, Trek promise. That's our goal. Uh, but that said, uh, that enthusiasm that racists have for, uh, at least some racists have for zombie films, I, I think I would have for killing uh, killing plants, Matt. Oh, okay. Yeah, I, I hate your work. I just hate it, period. I just wish plants could just grow and take over the world again. Just be... I'm one of those people that would not mind having a freaking like, random, like, giant unbrushed un- uncut garden in my front yard just as long as i get my cars in and out of the driveway you're, you're right <laughs> that there is there is like a certain aesthetic pleasure to like the overgrown city you know oh yeah it's beautiful i mean that's out yeah. it's they it's just natural it's like nature's like oh yeah just to remind you oh we'll just take over your shit that's yeah. <laughs> like, you build the tallest building trust me we'll, we'll, we'll grow it even higher <laughs> yeah. as the saying that got very popular during the pandemic goes nature is healing matt there you go yeah, that's awful now that I think about it. Yes, that's awful. Okay. I think that that's awful. I think that it's fine. <laughs> so many people are dying. We're healing. It's, it's a healing. Uh, I mean, I guess when you look at it like that. Yeah, Bob. Like, I thought you meant there's too many people in the world, so it's healing itself. Like, <laughs> sending out a plague. I'm not going to get into an overpopulation debate on, yeah. on a Star Trek episode. I agree, Bob. Let's not do yeah, that. Let's not let's, do that. Let's stay clear of that conversation. Yeah, yeah. But uh, w- another conversation uh, where somebody uh, does not steer clear of something, Matt. Yeah, uh, Rutherford tells Boimler to take off his pants, Bob. Immediate compliance, immediate subtext. Boimler does not question it. Boimler nope. just takes his pants off. Although it is pretty funny that after they use Boimler's pants, he's like, you really could have just used my shirt. Yeah, it was. A, yeah, yeah, it's very true. Uh, so, Matt, when Tindy first starts trying to reminisce about the turbo lift story that people keep shutting her down on, was that when you realized that this was going to be an anthology episode? I thought they were going to try to make a good clip show. Mm. What I mean, I, I don't, know what you mean, but what would a good clip show even mean? Is okay, the question, I guess here's what a good clip show would look like, and you may disagree with me. If okay. they set it up like Mystery Science Theater, oh, uh, with their like commenting there over you go. their memories, you got uh, it. I I hate Mystery Science Theater, but that is a really funny idea, and it, you you should send that into the writers room. That way you're five, right? That That's way you're a good idea. You're getting old. You're getting old content visually but you're getting new commentary so at least yeah. there's a reason to watch yeah. it and you could visually have their four shadows at the bottom and, of the screen and, and let's be honest let's be honest bob we wa- we consume so much star trek that i have a lot of trouble keeping up with what happened when so a clip yeah. show this far into it would not i mean if done well would actually help me so i don't yeah. have to go back on youtube and watch like you know uh their versions of recaps well, see, my, my thought when you said it was actually a little bit it's similar, but a little bit in the opposite direction of we've noted before that even though I like this show quite a bit, I have a pretty hard time remembering like what the reoccurring bits are, yeah. the reoccurring <laughs> gags are. 
And so, yeah, my worry if it had, and I also was worried it was going to be a clip show, but my worry with the clip show, I was like, oh man, I'm, I'm just going to vaguely remember what they're showing and it's going to like frustrate me and cause me to have to go down like memory alpha right. rabbit hole. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But when I did figure, realize it was an anthology show, I was a little disappointed because that's just a lot of stories they told in a very short amount of time. Yeah. And I'm gonna give I'm gonna give you an example, Bob. One of the more famous uh-huh. anthology episodes that I remember is the Batman animated series episode Almost Got Him. Okay? Oh yeah, that's a good example. Okay, that's and good. I'm gonna ask you a question. Can you tell me what happens with each character's story when they tell it? I should be able to, but I can't really. The only one I really remember vividly is the Killer Croc story that isn't because it's there just Killer Croc being like, I threw a rock at him. There you go. That's all anybody like, remembers. And then you find yeah. then the in the mainline story of that. Oh, it was actually Batman yeah. as Killer Croc. Well, not to, not to like English professor you, but it's like yeah, you'd call that like the frame narrative. Yeah. It's it, it it is interesting that in both cases, like the frame narrative of the Batman almost got him episode and the frame narrative of this episode are more memorable in their way than any of the stories they tell, even though the stories are supposed to be memorable. Right. Cause I, I don't remember any of the stories from that animated series episode. I knew like penguin was involved. I think <laughs> Joker, yeah, Joker was one of them. I don't know what they did. I don't I, I believe I want to say penguin, Joker, two face and poison Ivy. That sounds about say. right. That sounds right. And I, I actually am a little embarrassed. I can't remember it better uh because i did have like a storybook adaptation of that episode yeah, and i probably watched that episode a hundred times but i just i cannot oh, yeah. remember because i just know that it's just the main like you said the main story or whatever the main what you call it, the frame the frame narrative the frame narrative is the best part of that yeah because it's yeah, so you memorable wouldn't ca- you wouldn't call it the main story usually because usually it gets less time and it's less and is less vivid than the told stories Right. Although that's that's a, a almost got him maybe challenges that a little because you as the viewer are kind of watching to see you know will Batman get him et cetera et cetera. But Bob, there well, was someone that showed up in this episode that I did not expect to see. Yeah, Matt. See, you you may have questioned uh, me uh, making us watch Filmation Star Trek, but if you hadn't seen the Survivor episode two weeks ago from Filmation Star Trek, you would have had no idea who the Vendorians were when uh, Levy Boimler's little buddy started conspiracy theorizing about them. Well, thank you, Bob. Now I know what a nerdgasm feels like. Appreciate it. Yeah, yeah. And I also have have we already broken the explicit tag on this episode, Matt? Probably, Bob. And I, I want I want to point something out to you, Bob, that I don't think yeah. you've ever known. I choose whether or not to hit the explicit button. <laughs> so. Oh, I th- I thought like an a- I thought an AI. No, uh, thing no. And if I know I, if I know I use the word, and I could probably just beat these out. If I don't use the word fuck, like I just put explicit, <laughs> just so okay. people know. <laughs> well, fuck Moimler, Matt. There you uh, go. <laughs> Wolf, Wolf three five nine was a tragedy, but it's also the very definition of an inside job. Like obviously, it was an inside job in some sense. So he should not be shutting Levy's uh, conspiracy theories down. The man needs a fair hearing. Bob, you love conspiracy theories. I do. They're awesome. Where, where did this love of conspiracy theories come from? <laughs> uh, one of one of our high school uh, teachers gave me a conspiracy theory book about the Federal Reserve in high school. Okay. I knew it yeah, was something. Yeah. Something just spawned this in you because I know if I have any conspiracy theory questions, you're the one to go to. Uh, well, it's partially that I think they're hilarious. Um, it's just like they're very cool, just like in the same way that like Star Trek or superhero mythology is very cool. And uh, but it's also because like 
you know, I don't believe most of the major right-wing conspiracy theories, but they do, like, in a weird way, reflect what reality is. Like, reality is controlled by a small group of people. Yes. It's just they're capitalist, not Jewish. Um, <laughs> and, you know, so yeah. like, I also think there's a lot, there's a lot more like both moral and allegorical truth to them than uh, people sometimes are willing to admit. Oh, I agree with that a hundred percent. Cause I've even been led to some of these conspiracy theories. I'm like, eh, that sounds actually pretty plausible. <laughs> there's two great podcasts. One is called true Anon that's, um, launched to like cover Jeffrey Epstein stuff mm -hmm. and it like it covers it in like a responsible way but it like you know like you like after Epstein didn't kill himself like you know it's just of course like conspiracy theories are real like full stop there it is like what what more do you need at least to a certain level and then there's also a really uh, good podcast called QAnon Anonymous that I don't always agree with them, but they are very good at like examining the different corners of conspiracy thinking, especially, but not only right-wing conspiracy thinking. All right. So to go back, let's go back to your 359, Wolf 359 conspiracy. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. What you're basically saying is that Lakutus of Borg was allowed by the Federation to go into the Borg or become a Borg. I don't know is that about what you're saying? that. But I'm just saying, like, you like the definition of an inside job, right, is that somebody inside the hierarchy uh, collaborates in the production of the thing. And definitely, like, definitionally, that is true of Wolf 359 just because Picard is Lacutus. Right. Now, okay. Now, whether there's whether there's like other complicity, you know, like is an interesting question, but I think. You can't just say it wasn't an inside job because it was. Well, yeah. And you you also, like, you can't just automatically shut down inquiry about it. So, Matt, the Vendorians uh, are real. Another conspiracy theory that's indicated. <laughs> and, but here they're a little different than we saw them in The Survivor. They're basically doing a, a, mor a morality test for yeah. the Fantastic Four. And it seems a little out of character compared to how they were presented in the Filmation episode Survivor. Did you have any thoughts about that? Well, they've evolved as a species. Okay. Over okay. the last how many I years? How many years would this be? Like 40? About 100. Oh, hundreds. <laughs> yeah, they evolved a lot, Bob. Yeah. Yeah, roughly it's 100 years yeah. between Next Gen and uh, original series, roughly. Um, okay, okay. Maybe they evolved. I, I like the possibility, too, that even though it didn't come up in the Survivor, you know, in the Survivor, they just treat them as like, oh, they're this totally evil, totally other species. But, but, what if they've always been doing that, and that's why the Federation finds them so annoying? Yeah. Posing these moral dilemmas. Yeah, so that's why their planet is interdicted. What a bunch of assholes. Just, <laughs> just constantly put you in these moral quandaries, and you have to find your way out. I, I don't think you're going to get this reference, but if any of our listeners do, I'll make it. Uh, they're literally the Peter Singer of alien species. Nope, does not ring a bell, Bob, but that's okay. Someone out there is going to get it. Someone out there is having a belly laugh. <laughs> I hope so. I hope so. So, Matt, I, I was pretty sure, although I thought it was better for the show if I didn't check, but I was pretty sure, was Captain Freeman voicing one of the Vendorians? It was either her or James Doohan. Ayo. <laughs> and then, did you like the xenomorph angle that they added to the Vendorians? I mean, it was, it was okay. I don't know if it was necessary. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's probably mostly just an homage to Alien. Yeah. Oh, yeah, because yeah. it would have been about the... Yeah, that's right. Yeah, about the same time. Yeah. 
And then a very important uh, question, Matt. Would you eat a Vendorian cricket? Uh, no, Bob. I'm not going to touch a Vendorian cricket. What if what if you were in a similar scenario to uh, Boimler and uh, what's-his-face, the conspiracy theorist, um, uh, Levy? What if you were in a, a similar situation of Boimler and Levy and you felt, shall we say, coerced or pressured or there was an implication that if you didn't eat the cricket things would go wrong for you would you still <laughs> would you eat the cricket then uh, i don't know bob if they're forcing me to eat a cricket I'm, I'd, be, I'd be nervous matt's like things already have gone wrong yeah <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm not i'm not gonna, I'm not gonna <laughs> eat a fucking cricket like i just don't plan on doing it not on an alien planet not on nothing no not do it not not from a vendorian not eating the Dorian cricket no yeah, yeah. And I also just want to emphasize that, you know, I, I talk a lot of crap about uh, liberals on the show, but this is an episode, in, in general, New Star Trek is for based liberals, because in this little story with Levy, Boimler learns that sometimes conspiracy theorists are right, because Wolf 359 was an inside job, <laughs> and the Vendorians are real. See, just like the season two premiere of Strange New Worlds, which warns us against false flag operations in regions of the galaxy that are at great tension between two major powers, do you see an application to present-day geopolitics, Matt? I don't know, Bob. You should write one of these books that they sell at Barnes & Noble, like, what is it called? Like, Star Trek and politics or some bullshit <laughs> star trek and economics or whatever the fuck you're talking about yeah, yeah. <laughs> whatever <laughs> well if i if i were to write a book matt i couldn't do better than having the first line so i had a cave baby with dr tiana yeah that was brilliant bob and it threw me i like i, I usually when i'm watching these shows i'm kind of like okay i'm watching and i'll look down at my phone or you know I'm in the middle of doing something, just kind of listening. That I had to stop and look because I was like, "What the hell did he just say?" <laughs> like... <laughs> and it it is really funny how both Boiler and Rutherford stories involve male pregnancy. Yeah, they really are alluding to something here. This episode just is sticks out like a sore thumb when it comes to their. Well, I don't know if the male pregnancy thing. I mean, maybe maybe it is involved with the Boiler Rutherford subtext. But there also just like is an old trope of using, um, or not, a, there's an old trope of male pregnancy stories in science fiction, right? Like Alien being a famous example. And then another example I dearly love would be Octavia Butler's short story, Blood Child. So I think they're just, I think they're just playing into an existing science fiction trope. And then. Which is the, also primarily like a male fear of, you know, we never know. Oh, what, yeah, yeah. We have no clue what childbirth is like. So we're like. Nope. <laughs> So we're freaking out and we see, we're like, damn, that's going to be painful, Rutherford. But, you know, if it, but if it was, if it was like Tindy, we'd be like, oh, she's just giving birth. Yeah. Yeah. Although, uh, in, in, involuntary pregnancy, always horrific. Oh always yeah. Yeah. Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for throwing that out there. Yes. That is a hundred percent true. Yes. Um, I, I will say, I also kind of had the feeling that they wrote the Rutherford-Tiana story to make up for Rutherford being a bad father to Badgie. So now we have, like, <laughs> this image of him and Dr. T being a great, great parents. Yeah, I think it's an it's an apology, Bob, because even though we both voted uh, Rutherford as best dad on the last episode. <laughs> yeah. And I... I think when I was re-listening to that episode, I realized we weren't clear enough about that poll. It was best dad of the bad Star Trek dads. That's, <laughs> that's why that's why Picard wasn't on the list. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, I, mean, I, I that that was I think that was my failure of introduction. Also, you know, 
why Jack Crusher wasn't on the list. It was the best of the bad Star Trek. Yes. Yeah. Well, I guess in the case of Rutherford, you know, at least he apologizes for you know, being being a bad dad. He knows it. Yeah, this yeah. is what this is all about. Showing or, him, it's the, just, yeah, forcing it's him to show. Yeah. It's a show apologizing it's, for showing him as a yeah, bad dad. Yeah, it's the show forcing one of its male characters to give birth in, <laughs> in a flashback. <laughs> Inside a cave. Yeah. We've got to add that and in, too. Did you catch, uh, so to go ahead to Mariner's story, just for the sake of time, did you uh, catch that that was a remake of an original series episode? Yeah, it's uh, it's Gallo 7. And yeah, it took yeah. me a minute, because the only reason I know is because I own that stupid shuttlecraft toy that was a Gallo 7 or whatever. Yeah, <laughs> was, yeah. yeah. And so I looked always, it's like, oh, i got to watch that episode. So I actually watched that one and, yeah. Yeah, if I remember right, it's the fact the seven refer. I think the seven is the number of the Galileo shuttlecraft, but it also is the number of people in the shuttlecraft. Yes, that's correct. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It tells yeah. you how many it holds. <laughs> Boy, I got my Galileo fourteen up. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, because I think there. I think like the Columbia is like the two. Yeah, it, it hold. It holds. Well, I mean, the Galileo could hold more than seven people. Although it was pretty full in that episode. Yeah. <laughs> So Bob, let's, let's go to the ending of this episode. This had kind of a sappy ending. And then, I mean, we we're going to talk about it today, but did you feel like you were going to have something kind of more serious or painful happen in the next episode? Oh, that's interesting. Um, no, not really. It more just felt like a kind of, a kind of way to mock anthology episodes by having it be about something as low stakes as a cave and also a way to kind of, reaffirm the bond of the fantastic four since that's not been as much in focus this season since they got promoted yeah it's just that was what they did at the end they had them all laying on top of each other you know and i was yeah. like you know being all happy and i was like eh, i hate it when they do this because they're setting up for something painful in the next one which they kind of do but it will be yeah but not really not no not to the group itself no yeah. all right bob so let's talk about the character of the week here my character of the week is the vendorians because i thought i was done talking about them for the rest of my life but here they are again a yeah, week yeah later. just uh, just two weeks later. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I'll definitely give it to Dr. Tayana. Uh, she had a great episode. I really enjoyed her line that the only thing she hates more than engineers are babies. <laughs> wow, yeah. Wow. And All she's right, a now. doctor and she delivers them. That's that's yeah, interesting. It's funny. It's funny. Okay. Uh, well, and I mean, traditionally, cats and human babies, not, not the best relationship. Yeah. And I mean, cats have like litters of kittens too, so. Yeah, it's a whole yeah. different experience. But don't they like well, eat their offspring? Like if they're not, yeah, they do. I think they can if they, <laughs> if they don't have enough food. Yeah. Oh god, I mean, it's, that's it's they could have gone they, they could have they could have gone so much further with uh, the whole Rutherford story. <laughs> yeah, I I just I really do. I mean, this is dark, but I really want to see Doctor T eat a betazoid before the show is over. <laughs> All right, Bob. That's a little harsh, but we'll, we'll go with it. I don't think you're going to see that at any point. <laughs> I, are, are you tell, Are you going to tell me I'm wrong, though? No, I want to see it too. I didn't say that. Uh, yeah, I see. see. <laughs> All right. So uh, the plot for our first filmation Star Trek episode of today, which is the Magics of Megas Two, it's basically the Enterprise has a diabolical time at the center of the universe, Matt. Uh, no, Bob. It was the center of the galaxy. Damn it, you're right, Matt. I'm wrong. Sorry. That's right, Bob, because they've only explored the Milky Way galaxy. <laughs> yeah, you, yeah, you're right. I'm wrong. Back I in failed. back in nineteen seventy eight or whatever, there was no <laughs> So did this strike you as like a first draft of Star Trek V? 
Yes, very much so. And Bob gave a very simplified version of the plot, uh, which he usually does. This is... <laughs> the, the devil's in this episode, Bob. The fucking yeah. devil. Lucifer. Or, or I, Lucifer. Yeah. <laughs> as as I prefer to call him, the devil. Yeah, the devil, yeah. That, so what did you think insane. of him looking kind of like a centaur or kind of like a satyr? I mean... He, it was weird, and I don't see how they allowed this on TV in the 70s. I, so, it's been a while since I looked at the production notes on Memory Alpha, but if I remember right, I think originally they wanted it to be God, but the network wouldn't allow that, so having it be the devil was a, uh, how you'd say, a compromise mechanism? How uh, they were able to get around it, yes. Yeah, I mean, he looks like a, he's got that, looks like a, a centaur, a satyr, you know, he's got that yeah. You got the traditional devil look. I mean, yeah, just... yeah. Devil, but he sort of looks like the devil, but he also sort of, lo- yeah, sort of looks like these Greek mythology figures. It's a little interesting kind of mix of the two. And it, I mean, it is just deeply hilarious to me that Jimmy Duhon is voicing the devil and then George Takei is voicing <laughs> the other demon as Modius. Although they don't, they don't explicitly call him a demon, but I mean, come on. He's like, his name is Asmodeus. He's a demon. I know this is years ago, but I hope they got paid for those. And oh yeah, surely, yeah. surely they did. Surely, because it yeah. seems like Jimmy Juhan, man, he must have been making bank. Hell yeah, man! It's like five five bucks here, thirty bucks here. <laughs> add it up, add it up. So Matt, this is the origin of the famous meme of Spock drawing a magic circle. Were you excited to understand where that came from? Yeah, this is when it just all went off the rails, Bob. Spock's drawing freaking uh, <laughs> arcane imagery and circles in the middle of the room yeah. just to like try cat, to cat, yeah. casting spells yeah. and waving his hands in front of him in a very you know wizardy sort of way yeah. <laughs> we've never seen spock do this before but we just go with it and it it's actually kind of entertaining i mean i give yeah. it that well there's something there's something nice about it too of like you know spock does whatever's logical so in a dimension where magic is real like he, just, he becomes he, a magician he uses it's, magic it's i mean yeah, it, yeah. It, it makes sense thematically yeah there's a logical progression there we're good with it yeah you take spock to an arby's he'll start making beefs beefs exactly exactly i can't get the word you take spock to an arby's he'll start making roast beef sandwiches this is how he works yeah yeah i i I could tell you a story about how i went into an arby's to have a roast beef sandwich and watch a crazy person on thursday it was a good time i'm I'm not i'm not going to (laughs) that's all right bob i think i think we're all okay we've We've got this story yeah. about Star Trek people meeting the devil to talk about. Yeah, yeah, we got fo- we to focus on that. This we is much more important. So even funnier to me than Spock is a satanic magician, like doing Aleister Crowley stuff, was uh, the image of Eric's in a tri-armed stockade, like, you know, Salem witch trial style, like his three hands sticking out of the stockade. That really yeah, cracked yeah. me up. I mean, they built, shit, they built that shit just for him. That's so nice of yeah, him. Yeah, yeah. So Matt, in the spirit of the, you know, the horror scenes of the Puritan demons in this episode, do you have a favorite Puritan horror movie? You are going to be pissed when I say this movie. Hit me. The Village. I actually never saw it, so I can't, I I mean, I can, I can be suspect and I am suspect, but I never saw it, so I can't really. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's one of those like uh, guilty pleasures, Bob. Did you see the Vivitch or the Witch? No, I, I no. Oh man, you really should. D- d- does your wife like horror movies? Not really, no. But, ah, too bad, yeah. too bad. So this is a little bit of a spoiler, but I'm going to say it anyway. The best thing 
about the Vavitch is you get to see how cheaply a starving Puritan girl will sell her soul for. It's so funny. Oh, God. It's called the, it's also, the Vivitch? Uh, it's spelled witch, or it's, it's witch, but it's often stylized like V-V-I-T-C-H. Uh, and so sure. as, a, as a joke, my friends and I call it the Vivitch. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it, it's really good. Another older one that's a good Puritan horror movie is there's, uh, you know, the uh, Edgar Allan Poe poem, The Conqueror Worm? Uh, yes, yes, I do know. Yeah, they made a film of it, but, you know, it's a poem that's not really about much and it's pretty short. So right. They, they just made it about uh, Vincent Price uh, hunting witches during, uh, like, the English Civil War. <laughs> it's, it, the other title for it is Witchfinder General. It's, a, it's oh, actually wow. a really good movie. That actually sounds really entertaining. Yeah, man. Those old Vincent Price, like, 60s, 70s Edgar Allan Poe films, some of them are bad, but a couple of them, like uh, The Witchfinder General and Mask of the Red Death, are just genius. Bob, so one thing I have noticed with the animation in this cartoon is there are a mm-hmm. lot of still frame shots. And I guess this was common back in the day because they just were trying to make sure they could fit the allotted time, so they just yeah. stuck it on one frame. But there was this very long-ass shot of Earth while yeah. this visual story about these beings like doing all this really cool stuff is being told, they didn't <laughs> animate any of it. <laughs> like, yeah. They're like, the so-and-so, so-and-so were at war, and there was like dragons and fire, and everybody was dead. They're just showing a shot of Earth. It's not moving. Well, Matt, you see, I think the kids need to use their imagination, and I think that's what's wrong with kids today. <laughs> so <laughs> I, su- I, 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 su- I support this cheap-ass choice in animation. <laughs> you know what we call those, Bob? You know what we call those? We call those books. <laughs> read a book if that's what you want this is a visual medium i want to see what's going on all right the that doesn't really help either because books are visual mediums but was this an early version of the not 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 in the sense you mean no yeah you have to read it you have to see it you have to yeah but it's not but you're not seeing pictures you wouldn't call it a visual medium like like painting or like film yeah that's true all right bob so this trial that takes place this is an early script for q yeah, I mean that's certainly sort of it, it, the you know the proto cues are all over the animated series yeah. and the original series and the first movies. I it's kind of funny, right? Because like Gene Roddenberry, famously an atheist, uh, one of the reasons I'm an atheist, you know, although I was resistant to it as a kid, but the it is even though he's an atheist, the man loves to have stories where the Enterprise fights God or fights something that might as well functionally be God, you know? Right, and I, this, that's how this felt, in which. I don't know. It felt like you said Star Trek Five earlier, and yeah, yeah, I did kind of get that. But to me, this scene with the with the uh, where they're in Salem reminds me of Q because they take him oh, somewhere yeah, that's yeah. just you know and random it, ass, you know, just like oh, here we yeah. are. Yeah, and it is that interesting idea of like the god who like cosplays as something from yes. history, whether it's like the Salem witch trial or whether in in the first Q episode it's like the dystopian court in the future. And you have it, like, with Apollo in the original series, right? And you have it with um, Trelane, who I, I think he's broadly supposed to be playing, like, a kind of, like, 18th century European nobleman, right? Right, exactly. So, but that, that was my take from it. I was like, wow, this seems like it probably influenced the whole Q thing a lot more than we think it did. But. Yeah. Well, and so one of the craziest things about this, um, and we'll, we'll get to it uh, a little more in a minute, but it's like, 
Kirk really takes a strong line in favor of the devil against uh, the demons <laughs> of the episode. And I, I actually did like this is a kind of a minor thing, but apparently the devil, uh, the Lucian character in this episode had spent a lot of time in solitary confinement. And Kirk was like, no, that's inhumane. You can't do that. And, you know, given that it's very widespread practice in American prisons, I, I do like that this kid's show in the 70s was at least being like, no, solitary confinement is torture. You can't do it. So, Bob, would you say that Kirk was showing sympathy to the devil? Indeed, Matt, I, w- I would, I would. I think you're right. So, Matt, I do have to, so we already talked about how this episode was like kind of a compromise formation yeah. to avoid the blasphemy of doing it with God. At least that's my memory of reading about it. Right, that's but true. if you're a fundamentalist Christian watching this episode in the early 70s, what's going to be more blasphemous to you? The fact that they all share a drink with the devil or the devil at the end of the episode or the fact that Kirk basically serves as like a Christ figure for the devil. Like he basically comes to save and redeem the devil. Bob, this should not, uh, there, there's no, there's no, they're, they're both weird for a cartoon. <laughs> okay, there's no, <laughs> I, I, the fact that they drink with the devil afterwards, you don't drink with the devil. Period. I, I don't know. You I don't. Mean, I could... You could you could go into a thing about how it's maybe trying to like fulfill the potential of Christianity because wouldn't that be like if you know Christ is supposed to be like the redeemer isn't that the final test of redemption is redeeming the devil? But Bob, the devil's the bad guy. He's got to be the bad one. You know, uni- universal salvation, Matt. There's apparently some reason to believe it. it <laughs> no, Bob. It's Bi- no, Bob Bible the devil's bad. Story. Jesus is good. We're going to leave it at that. <laughs> <laughs> well, Matt, in the spirit of who's bad and who's good. Who's your character of the week? Bob, my character of the week is uh, Paul Heyman as a Puritan. Which is to say George Takei as Asmodeus. That is correct. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll go with the devil. They, some, sometimes they call him Lucian, sometimes they call him Lucifer, but he's the devil. He is the, definitely the devil. And Bob, this episode, very big on morality. Both episodes, big on morality. Yeah, yeah. Both were kind of tests of morality. Yeah. I, I feel like you mo- learned more morally from each of them than you will for this episode of uh, Uncanny Tracks, but that's okay because we're uh, plunging ahead to the Lower Decks episode Inner Fight uh, and not Inner Flight as I erroneously believed initially. So, Matt, and not to see the plot of Inner Fight. And not the Inner Light, Bob, because that's a great no. start. Well, that's clearly, clearly that's the joke. Yes, clearly, clearly Bob. But I need to point it out because some people Thank might you. not know. You know? You. <laughs> no, you're right. You, 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 you did the right thing there, Matt. You did the right thing. All right. The plot is about Crazy Mariner gets stranded on a storm planet with Boiler, Tindy, and Tiana, while the Cerritos tries to rescue the original Tom Paris on a lawless planet. I like that you just slavishly read whatever wrong thing I put down in the notes, so you read Boiler. I read Boiler, Bob. Bob, Bob, I I work in an elementary school. (laughs) I I read little children's writing all day, and sometimes I just have to, like, go with it. I know you made a mistake, Bob. It's okay. It's all right to make mistakes. I didn't want to point it out, so I just read it. I just want to say it's entirely possible that I didn't make the mistake and that Google Docs autocorrected it. I just want to throw that out. I am having more problems with that recently, which I think you're – earlier today you mentioned something about uh, AI getting worse because it's now drawing from its own AI shit. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. I didn't mention it on air, but I did you did, yeah. yeah. So I'm thinking, you know, that may be why a lot of times my autocorrect is not correcting to anything near what I want it to, and even though I'm spelling the word correctly, it still doesn't think it's correct. <laughs> yeah, or just that. I mean, 
I mean, Boimler. Even, even the stupid, even the stupidest human has better contextual knowledge than the best AI. That's true. But I mean, it did just look at it. Think you accidentally typed M. Yeah. So that, <laughs> it was logic, bitch. Uh, Cap- Ma- Mas- Masco and nineties uh, Captain Kirk over here uh, defeating the AI with logic and reasoning. Yeah. Oh, 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 okay, hold on, Bob. I'm sorry I'm, I'm going on a bit of a tangent here, but this is also very interesting, too. Hit me, hit me. Uh, yeah, so I started playing you know, with AI imagery, and I typed into the AI image thing. I said, imagine Star Trek, but in the style of X-Men, the animated series. <laughs> oh, Lord. Oh, Lord. Actually looked okay. Actually looked kind of cool, because, you know, it's like a bunch of buff, like, you know, like, buff yeah, guys, you yeah. know, with all, the po- yeah. with all the pouches and shit. <laughs> Did you ever read that original, uh, like, 90s Star Trek, the original Yes, I did, and it looks like that, yes, yes. And that, to me, though, was a little too far. That was like Rob Layfield drawing it. No, I think it was Silvestri. I think it was Mark Silvestri. I know, but I'm just saying it it had that, yeah, it had that look is what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, it did, it did. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I liked it, though. I liked it. I liked it more than... The subsequent ones with the next generation, I felt like were diminishing returns, but the one with the original series was pretty fun. Yeah, if you haven't seen it, it's hilarious. They're like the buffest dudes ever. Yeah, skin yeah. tight outfits. <laughs> <laughs> Spock doing a Vulcan nerve pinch on Wolverine is the the part I always. Remember. Yeah, he's like grabbing that muscle. Like I don't think we have that muscle, but like bodybuilders do. You know what I'm talking about? Like, yeah, <laughs> like yeah. to do the to do the to do the nerve pinch. <laughs> Whatever that thing is, your shoulder that kind of sticks up. All right. Yeah, all right. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, we got a crazy mariner uh, stranded on the storm planet, and then we've got the Cerritos on a rescue mission. I will say in this episode it was amusing to see a lot more of Mariner's disdain for non-Starfleet scientists and for specialists, although we sort of later on, and we'll get to this, we get an explanation for that disdain. But at first I was just amused by her disdain for, you know, non-Starfleet people. Well, yeah, Bob, if you're not going to join Starfleet and be with everyone else... Yeah. So, did you have any theories about why Mariner's like self-destructive hero compulsion was especially on display this episode? I just thought that was her personality. Like, I thought that had always been her personality. She's just not—I'm not necessarily self-destructive, like want to kill herself, but she's always just kind of willing to take risks. Yeah, yeah. Certainly, it always has been a part of it, but it really was like ridiculously amplified this episode, right? Right. Yeah. And And then, go ahead. Oh no, I was going to say it. I feel like they were, I feel like they emphasized it more here just because, you know, that's what they wanted. I, I feel like it came out of, in my opinion, I feel like it came out of nowhere. <laughs> we'll, we'll, get, we'll get, we'll get to yeah. the explanation. We will. But uh, it, yeah. Yeah. So Matt, did you remember who uh, Nick Locarno was? Uh, yes, but I second guessed myself, Bob. <laughs> I could have had a little nerdgasm again, but no, I second guessed myself and had to go look it up. Yeah. He's basically Tom Paris, the pilot. Like the pilot. Yeah, yeah. I think the, I think the episode is called First Duty, and it's a Next Generation episode where Wesley gets kicked out of Starfleet Academy for participating in a cover up about a shuttle accident that killed a cadet, and the leader of the conspiracy is Nick Locarno, who's played by Robert Duncan McNeil, Robert Duncan McNeil, who will go on to play Tom Paris in Voyager, and they just you know basically Tom Paris is uh, Locarno. But they renamed him so they wouldn't have to pay royalties to the writer of the episode First Duty ever for every episode of Voyager. See, guys, this is why they had to go on strike. Yeah, exactly right. Even in the good old days, yeah. it wasn't always so good. <laughs> I mean, you made a character 
and you want to use them again, but you can't, you're like, oh, I don't want to pay that person any money for that character. I'll just make my own. Call him Tom Paris. <laughs> so at the beginning, right, we get a list of people, possible people that the Cerritos might need to go and rescue. We've got uh, Locarno, but we also have Beverly Crusher, Seven of Nine, and Tom Riker. Who off that list were you more excited for? Okay, Bob, at first I was thinking I wanted to see Seven of Nine again, but then yeah. I realized this was before Picard. But maybe we get, maybe we'd finally learn what the hell the Fenris Rangers yeah, are. That, yeah, that's true. But I kind of want to see like the new Enterprise. Like so, that's why I wanted to see Seven and Nine again, just to see like the Enterprise G. Yeah, yeah. But but, well, top, but but this is uh, this is before that. Though. I know, Bob. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. yeah. I kind of wanted to, but then I realized it was before, so I went with Tom Riker. Yeah. Because yeah. Thomas Riker, we don't really know what happened to him. Last we know, he joined the Maquis, yes, and then most DS9. of the Maquis got, yeah, in DS9, and then most of the Maquis get slaughtered by the Dominion when the Cardassians joined the Dominion. So, yeah, I mean, it's presumably he survived, but, you know, he might even have died in that massacre, right? And we would have had clarity there. Yeah. And we would have had a return of Jonathan Frakes. You can't get enough of Jonathan Frakes, so. Yeah, I think I would lean with you to see Tom Riker, too, although I, I would be curious to see a little bit of prequel action with seven of nine before Picard. And I have no desire at all to see uh, Bev and her son uh, having adventures before Picard. No disrespect to either character. I just don't really want to see it. Well, we kind of saw that too in some flashback yeah, type yeah, stuff. Yeah. So. We got, we got a pretty good sense of it. And I guess that that's part of the difference is we have a pretty good sense of what she and her son were doing from Picard season three. We do not have a good sense from Picard season one of what seven was up to before that show. Correct. Yeah. All right, Matt. So on the storm planet, I mean, initially we see other alien species later, like Cardassians and Orion show up. But initially we have like Ferengi, Romulan, and Klingon characters we've all seen before. They've all been captured by this mysterious ship. And then we've got some other alien species that attacks the Ferengi and the Romulan. And as far as I could tell, and I might be wrong, but as far as I could tell, we don't know who that is and we don't know what species it is. I didn't have a clue, Bob. Just look at, I was kind of hoping you would know, because I, I don't know. It looks like it should be familiar, <laughs> but I guess it's a new species, because memory, it, maybe, you know, maybe Memory Alpha updated today, but I, I looked yesterday, and they didn't have anything on it. Well, hit Bob up on X. <laughs> I can't say that with a straight face. <laughs> Man, I... Hit Bob up when, on X if you know what the salient's when, called. <laughs> when you say that, Matt, it sounds like I'm on OnlyFans. I mean, jeez. I know exactly. Well, to me, it sounds like you're on a drug. Like you're on, like, yeah. <laughs> hit Bob up while he's on X. And then, <laughs> I mean, uh, if you if you've got some Molly, yeah, yeah. Holler, holler, holler at your Bob. I, I, I wouldn't mind some. Um, did I did I ever tell you about that episode of uh, or that episode that issue of Cassie Kane Batgirl? Where she has to fight Batman because he's on ecstasy. I think you did, yes. But Batman's yeah. been on so many drugs at this point. Like he's, he's... Well, the best part. The best part is the the, the euphemism they use for ecstasy, which is soul. <laughs> What's the name of it in the new movie? Uh, I, I, shoot, I did. I didn't see it. I just listened to you describe it. Yeah, you, did, you obviously <laughs> didn't pay attention, you asshole. <laughs> Oh, I'm sorry, Matt. Somewhere in the two pages of text, <laughs> that one word was buried, and I missed it. Bob, the movie was, was like even there. Yeah, the movie was two hours. The podcast was an hour and a half. You, you, you I saved you half an hour. Shut up. <laughs> and it, it was mostly the, the podcast on my end was mostly me moaning in pain. <laughs> yeah, yeah, pretty much. 
It was the you know the uh, the chain of command episode where the gull tortures Picard. That was that was what that episode <laughs> was. All right, Bob. Just so just so in case you're wondering, they're called drops in Gotham. Oh, that's so lame. Soul is so much better. I, not that Soul is good, yeah. but it's so much better than drops. And then in RoboCop two, they're called it's called Nuke. <laughs> I'm watching a I'm watching a Canadian spy show right now that's actually very good, but they have this like wonder drug that's like both uh, I, I I should have said that because it makes it sound like it's a good thing, but it's like, both <laughs> like a, a, it's both like a hallucinogen and a date rape drug. Oh my god! And, and they're like so. I, well, my question is, is it real? Because they're fear mongering about it like so hard. Like it's like, oh, this this is a drug. You could take it, and then someone would tell you to commit suicide, and you would. That sounds really scary. But you remember like when we were in like when we were in the Dare program or whatever, and they always told oh, us about yeah. these like weird ass drugs I, that I never I actually saw. <laughs> oh, I, I thought they mostly told us about real stuff. I thought it was well. The one that got me was always like the sticker that looks like a frog, and if you lick it, you get something. You know what I'm talking about? Oh yeah, they were t- they were they were warning you about LSD. Oh, I mean, was that really a problem though back in like '95? Well, no. The entire just the annoying thing about Dare is the entire premise of Dare is it's like premised around like somebody might give you something for free, and they might give you something without telling you what it is, and it's just like, nah, man, drugs are expensive. That's not usually how people roll with them. I always wondered that too, but I never knew how to ask. <laughs> they kind of say like, well, they want to get you addicted, so then you have to pay for it. I think it was the logic they used, if I remember correctly. No, they they want to make money right then. I know, I know they do, Bob. I'm just saying that was the dare reason. Yeah, yeah, no, and it was it was insane. Yeah, it was insane. yeah, because I'm thinking I don't think that's how that works. It's like I, mean, I might be wrong, but I feel like most most of the stuff they talked about was real. They just exaggerated the effects yeah. and the addictiveness of it. Not to say that drugs aren't addictive. Yeah, but, oh yeah, they're definitely addictive. But they, uh, yeah, the <laughs> it's kind of like getting free samples at the grocery store. I think it's what the is what they kind of oh, yeah, acted no, that's like totally that's totally the logic that Nancy Reagan like yeah. imposed on the <laughs> <laughs> They're just passing it out to get you get you set up and then, then they'll start charging you. <laughs> I would say I think my favorite uh, Freeman line of this episode is uh, why doesn't he have to park on the moon? <laughs> yeah, that three hour show from the moon, Bob. I watched this episode on an airplane, and I had Very just been—I had Very just relatable. been through all that damn like, yeah, all the shuttling and all that crap to get to the plane, yeah. and I was like, "Yep, that that is the biggest inconvenience I've ever seen." And screw and the bounty hunter guy. Of course, I knew who, by, the, by the end of it, I was happy, but you know, but, but screw the bounty hunter guy first. <laughs> I uh, I also did enjoy the Rutherford line, Captain. Did you know we have pockets? <laughs> But do they? Do they have pockets in those outfits? Like they I do. They do. It's canon. We saw it on screen. Yeah, but they, but they don't keep their tricorder and shit in it. But they keep it on like a belt loop or something that's like hanging yeah, on the yeah. side. No, the pockets is for personal stuff, dog. Like what do you, what do you carry around in the future? You don't have keys. I, you don't have a wall. You don't need a wallet. You don't have money. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. You don't need a. Fo- I, just, I mean, they don't I have know, phones. Like, a suit, a, a, you know, you put a nice little rock from the planet in your pocket. <laughs> uh, no, Bob, they're maybe... bad. No, Bob, they carry condoms. That's what they carry. In their pockets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that since we mentioned Dale, let's talk about health class, Bob, and how we're all carrying condoms around our wallets. <laughs> yeah. Ex- well, I feel like I feel like that that was where I felt like the propaganda came in because yeah. I I feel I, my, in my memory they were just like no condom condoms don't work reliably you yeah. have to do abstinence nothing else works. Yeah. <laughs> but everybody was carrying around in their wallets you could see the 
it looks like a coin. And then people are really carrying around coins and they're like, what are you yeah. a condom? Fuck health class. Yeah. Okay, anyway, back to what we're talking about. There's another reference in this show, Bob, that was so random to me. It made me think we were going to see something that I knew was, shouldn't have been there. They call the bar Muds. Yeah, which just t- annoyed me because it's it, it's so clearly like stealing valor from Quark, right? Yes, yeah. Yeah. Like and not like I would love to see Harry Mudd, especially voiced by Rain Wilson, show show up on the show in some capacity. Oh yeah, that would be that would yeah. be cool. But he should be dead, right? Years. Yeah, yeah, he should be dead. But I mean, you remember what you remember where he's left in the original series, right? Actually no, and that is he frozen? No, he's on the planet full of android duplicates of his ex-wife. Oh, that's right. Okay. So you could maybe have like an android mud that was produced by that planet, right? And we did see a guy that looked like him at the bar. So oh, okay, I, I missed that. It I was ve- that. yeah, that's, it was it was nice. slight ref. Like he had like the the mustache type thing going and the mm-hmm. sort of look. All right. Well, speaking of references in the bar, Matt, did you uh, pick up on what the uh, what the the information broker that uh, Captain Freeman thought was a uh, puppet was a reference to. Yeah, it was a uh, Baylock from the Carbonite Maneuver. Uh, yeah. In, in that yeah. particular episode, you know, it was like the Wizard of Oz. Basically, there was this yeah. scary alien thing, which we saw in this, but it turned out to be this little kid-looking dude yeah. who was just trying which to if, test if the if morality. You go, <laughs> if you go in production order, is the first um, is the first regular episode of the original series after the two pilots. And one of the main reasons I know anything about this episode is because I had this uh, trivia book for Star Trek. And I think on the back cover it says, do you know the difference between the Carbonite Maneuver and the Picard Maneuver? Oh, oh, that's rough. That's rough. And so it stuck with me. Oh, and I will say, I I don't know if I should tell you that now. Well, I guess I should tell you this. So we are, you know, I said the last appearance of Mud was on the Android Planet. But uh, guess who's going to be in the next uh, animated series episode, Matt? Who, Bob? Harry Mudd. Oh. Yeah, it's called okay. Mudd's Passion. That's the one that's coming up. Uh, it's, a, it's, a really, uh, it's a really sleazy episode, as I recall. It's a really, uh, uh, it doesn't pass the, the 2020 woke test. Uh, so, well, Bob, let's we'll, uh, we'll, we'll step back and look at the big picture, though. So far, we've seen an episode where we... Uh, do not promote religion, basically. We, we have sympathy for the devil. We yeah. have an episode we're going to talk about in a minute where it's just this drug-induced trip. And then <laughs> and then we have this uh, this upcoming episode. I mean, it sounds to yeah. me like this uh, 70s cartoons were, were, not, uh, were not very woke at that time. Very, very, very amoral, Matt. Very amoral. Are you trying so, to say the 70s were an amoral time? Yeah, and that's why I like them. Um, <laughs> but... I guess to get to the main thing that I've been kind of delaying. So we sort of get the big explanation of Mariner's character in this episode, not just why she's been acting so crazy in this episode, but in general, why she's so hostile to non-Starfleet people, why she doesn't want a promotion, why she's a little up and down, shall we say, wise. And it's basically that uh, she was a friend at Starfleet Academy of the Bajoran cadet Cito Jaxa, who you may remember from the Next Generation episode, Lower Decks, the namesake of the show. And uh, Steedo gets sent on an undercover mission, uh, I think with the Maquis or with the Cardassians in that episode, and she gets killed. Or at least she gets killed off screen. And so Mariner's uh, carrying around some big grief, some big PTSD. I I don't remember how many years this is after 
Lower Decks, it's at least like, or the, the Next Generation episode, it's at least like five, maybe maybe closer to ten. But Mariner's grieving, and that's kind of why she is the way she is. Yeah, Lower Decks got way too serious here for me. <laughs> yeah. And I'm telling you now, Bob, if we find out Cedo didn't really die, and she's actually in cahoots with uh, this Tom Paris dude. Oh, Locarno. Yeah. I, I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm, yeah. Going, I'm going to puke. That's a real possibility I hadn't considered. I considered that they would bring her back, mm. but I assumed that was like a season five or season six thing. I hadn't considered that she would be in cahoots with Locarno, but given that they're both like ex-Starfleet guys, that mm-hmm. would make sense, right? Yeah. Yeah, I'm getting... I, I have a feeling. It, you, I think you're right. It's going to happen. We'll find out she joined the Maquis or something like that. Yeah, and I will say, on the one hand, you do have to kind of give it to the show. Like, it is tying itself tightly to the original episode called Lower Decks, so fair enough in that sense. But I wasn't a super big fan of this. Like you said, it kind of makes this, even though I'm generally in favor of serialized plots and more adventurous storytelling from the series, it makes it a little too serious for what is a gag show. And it was, I don't know, it was just a little much. It really was for this show, and it, it, the way we've seen Mariner portrayed up to this point, you know, this just hasn't really been this. Like, I don't like. I don't feel like she's someone who's been experiencing PTSD. More yeah. So just I thought that was her personality that she was a risk yeah. taker. Although I've got a, I, 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 I don't know. I'm not that expert on the symptoms, and they do try to justify it by it's like the recent promotion is the thing that triggered it. Yeah. Yeah. Because now she's a higher rank than what Cedo was when she left. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. So, I mean, this seems like kind of anticlimactic to transition to, but we see Locarno uh, at the end. He is voiced by Robert Duncan McNeil, who, you know, previously voiced Paris on the show and obviously played Paris and Locarno in previous Star Trek. Uh, Do you think he's going to be the big bad behind the ship attacks, or do you think it's going to be like, no, no, I'm actually trying to prevent it? Bob, Mm. in the words of Scott Hall, we know who he is. But we don't uh, know why he's here. <laughs> uh, very profound. Very profound. Yeah, so I don't know, Bob. There's so many things I could go in, so many directions I could go with this. I think I think he probably is responsible for the attacks, but I think those were Lower Decks crew members on that planet, right? Weren't they the people? Yeah. So those people didn't die, I don't think. Their ship was blown up, yeah. but I think they were transported. It, it is making it seem like maybe the scheme is like less evil than we initially thought it was from how it was built up. Since, yeah, they just harvested the ships and spared the crew right yeah maybe they're trying to recruit like more maquis members through force Mm -hmm. i don't know it'll be interesting (laughs) to see matt who was your character of the week bob it's got to go to billings and cosplay because that man dressed like he was uh the mandalorian the whole episode yeah or pulling a princess leia in return of the jedi (laughs) it was great it was great um, I, I did like Billings and cosplay. I'll give it to Freeman. I like that she had a plan. I like that her plan was specifically about how everybody hates Starfleet. That that was pretty. That was pretty satisfying. I always like when Captain Freeman has a plan. That was really good. Uh, all right, Nat. We're finally going to wind down this mega episode with our final episode of the day, uh, the Filmation episode, Once Upon a Planet. Matt, what is the plot of the Filmation episode, Once Upon a Planet? It's uh you know it's a sequel to the TOS episode, but it, basically the crew explores Alice in Wonderland fairy tale world. And what's the TOS episode, Matt? Shore leave. Yes, shore leave. Did you remember shore leave? I remember watching it. Yes, because I remember it was so fucking crazy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, the only too. reason why. I mean, that's the thing. The ones that stick out the most are the ones that just like 
You're like, what were they smoking when they made yeah, that episode? Yeah. Just, just McCoy, in both episodes, both Shore Leave and Once Upon a Once Upon a Time on the Planet. What was it? Once Once Upon a Planet. Once upon yeah, it's just McCoy hanging out with the White Rabbit man. <laughs> Although I will say this, I I'm pretty sure I didn't have time to rewatch Shore Leave, unfortunately, but I'm pretty sure there's not a plantation house. <laughs> the original short lead episode. And Matt, it's kind of fucked up to have a plantation house show up on this planet, especially show up while Uhura is singing. That's not really a good choice. Yeah, Bob, I, when I saw the house, I'm like, they had they, they must have stolen those frames from some like racist cartoon from the 20s or something. I don't Because even the style, the animation of the house didn't fit. <laughs> like Somebody had a really good time like drawing that house, and it kind of pissed me off a little bit. Matt, did I ever tell you the story of the most racist cartoon ever? Yes, you did actually, and I think you, you oh, told okay. us you told us about it on the podcast. It's called uh, uh, Scrub, "Scrub Me Mama" with the boogie. Beat. Yes, I actually went and watched it on YouTube because I wanted to experience it for myself, ooh, which was ooh, not a ooh. which I do not suggest. But if no. you, yeah, I do not suggest it. But if see, see, you're my, one of those my, people my, that likes to see just how awful humans could be in the past, <laughs> so that you don't make those same mistakes, just go, you know. Just watch things. See, Matt, my, see, my sense of appropriateness is changing and maybe even maturing because I was just going to allude to Scrub Me a Mama with the Boogie Beat. I wasn't planning on telling the story because I was like, uh, the listeners don't need to hear this. Oh, yeah. It's I, not going to do them. I didn't, re- I didn't realize I already told the story on air. Oh, yeah, yeah. You've told us. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, but one thing I want to point out, Bob, going back to Star Trek and not the horribly racist cartoon that you made us maybe Indeed. watch on YouTube. So we all know that Uhura Bob can sing from Strange New Worlds. And from the original series. I know, Bob, but I'm trying to do it in chronological order. <laughs> oh, <laughs> if you think about it, oh, Strange New Worlds is the first time we yeah, technically yeah, learned. You're right. You're right. <laughs> See, I, we I can thought, start doing that yeah. shit. I pulled that shit on you a couple episodes ago, too, and you didn't catch it. <laughs> oh, do you remember what it was? No, I'm going to have to go back. It was something Damn. weird. It had to do with Chapel. Oh, Chapel uh, and her uh, her relationship with Spock. <laughs> We knew they already had a relationship from Strange New Worlds, but not the original series. I don't it was I, so, it, it might have not. I don't know. It maybe it might have been worded in a. You know, I might have missed it, or it might have been worded in such a way that it didn't trigger me. Yeah. Like the word here triggered me. What's Bob? What Bob is trying to say is that sometimes my word salad confuses him. <laughs> I, I wouldn't put it that strongly, but I'm trying to practice that. It's getting better. <laughs> That's, yeah, why we're doing, that's another reason we're doing the podcast, folks. You're getting better at triggering me, Matt. Yeah, yeah, job. yeah, yeah. You're welcome. So, so, Matt, were you surprised at how quickly McCoy could run? I was like, scooby dooby doo Yes. That's all I could imagine. It's like, they might as well just done his feet like a, a spinning thing. Like, <laughs> yeah, it was great. It was great. He yeah. was really moving, man. Moving, yeah. moving, doing it. Uh, so it was not as important as Uhura taking the con in the Lorelei signal, which is an earlier filmation episode we looked at. But I do think it is a nice little trivia to note that Eric's getting the con in this episode is the first time a non-human has had the con in Star Trek. That's right, Bob. Spock never took the con in the original He's series. half human, bro. <laughs> half human. There's still some non-human elements. <laughs> There's still some human elements too. Bob, there's Bob. no, there are no human elements in that Edosian with his three legs. Hey, and three hey, arms. hey, hey! Stop right there. The word. <laughs> so if we use your logic, then Obama was not the first black president. Uh, Matt, I, <laughs> I did make a somewhat similar argument at the time. Yeah. Okay. 
and I, Bob, that argument fits your argument as well. You're absolutely right. Spock sitting on the con is not the same as Eric sitting on the con because it looks fucking strange. Well, it's true. I think, <laughs> I, think, I think we also don't act. We never actually see Eric in the chair, right? Probably yeah, yeah. We anim- just animating yeah. in the chair. Would be, exactly. We just see him in. We just see him in his navigator spot, like, um, telling people what to do. <laughs> he didn't even get to sit in the chair. That's because he's not human, Bob. <laughs> Yeah, man. Non-humans are not allowed to sit in the chair, Bob. That's that's pretty messed up, man. It's it's fuck, it's, it's really up. fucked up. Yeah, yeah. Why didn't they put him in the chair then? Because an, because anime I, would have been a pain. That, but they should have had something unique to show there. Like I don't know, give him, maybe the chair altered. Well, like they, wouldn't it have been cool if they shown the chair like alter itself somehow so he could actually sit in it? That would have been fucking awesome. That that chair can barely swivel. How's it gonna alter? <laughs> I don't know. It's like a transformer. I don't know. Fucking like. Spins oh, out. Lord. I don't know, Bob. There's just some ideas here. I'm just thinking, you like, know, there's yeah. ways they could have done this that would have made it more obvious that Eric's was the, in charge. Other than saying, Mr. Eric's, you have the con? Yes, exactly. I want to see Mr. Eric's at the con. Also, he only had the con until Scotty got back to the bridge. Apparently. And that's the other thing. So they put Scotty in the chair. No problems at all. Yeah, because he doesn't have three legs and three arms, so it's easy to draw him in the chair. Uh, that's true. What it's if it not was... just that he's not human. It's just specifically that Eric's has the three arms and the three legs that makes him tricky. Yeah, you just put the three legs in front of him and have the three arms like up in the air. Like it, it, it really, I think this is way easier than you're thinking it is. Matt, you're you're talking about the show where you just correctly complained about how instead of showing <laughs> the battle of angels and demons, they just left it on a still image of Earth for the story. And that like this is not a this is not a show where they're going above and beyond. I'm totally going to AI Eric's on a chair and let you have it. So no you problem. totally should. I'm going to, cool. to frame that shit and put it in your... You, Matt, you've come up with the only two good uses of AI art I've ever heard of. So congratulations. Bob, hang around with me and you'll get at least five good uses of AI in the next two years. Hell yeah. <laughs> Hell yeah. All right, Matt. So what did you think of all the drama in this episode revolving around Mares on the intercom? Uh, it was it was kind of weird. Okay. This is the first time I've ever really listened to Mres closely because yeah, I she I've, hasn't she she didn't talk I don't even know if she spoke in the prior episode I've seen her she... I I've seen her and I was like okay this is a damn Catwoman on the bridge whatever so that little purr thing she does after everything she says would be so obnoxious on the bridge and if I was a communications officer having to talk to other species and I was the one like you know communicating I would not want to hear that purr after every sentence. Yeah, I mean, you don't want to be specious and say that Cations can't be communications officers, but it does seem like she's not the ideal communications officer, no, right? not at all. Does she purr after every language or just English? It, it's Oh, that's a, actually, that's a good question. That's a good question. Maybe it's just English. Maybe maybe she finds English challenging, but like with Cleon, she's fluent and no purring. I also noted the irony that in the, uh, yeah, I think we first saw Mares in, or in Mares in the prior episode but you know, this is by far the most prominent she's gotten in the series. And while she's getting that, we have uh, Sulu and McCoy being harried by a giant house cat on the planet, which was so kind of weird. Did you think maybe Majel Barrett was voicing the giant house cat too? Uh, either her or James Doohan. I mean, it's- <laughs> yeah. I, th- I mean, you know, Majel Barrett's nailing the purr, so I figured just give it, give that one to her. Yeah, and then Doohan wants money, so. 
Yeah. <laughs> uh, did you dig that quick little image we got of the shuttle bay, including where we see like a shuttle with the nacelles on top instead of it on the bottom? It was actually pretty cool because I was like, oh, that's something I haven't seen ever. So nice. <laughs> I think we're going to see that shuttle with the nacelles on top in a in a future episode. Okay. Yeah, it's it's very unique looking. Not something you, you used to seeing. Yeah. It's supposed to be like a long distance shuttle, I guess. So, Matt, did you notice the black dude who took over Sulu Station in this episode? Yeah, yeah, I've, and I feel like I've seen him before. Like yeah, he's... I I not noticed him before, but he's been in a few other episodes. Uh, his name is Lieutenant Frank Gabler, and apparently he's usually Scotty's assistant. Uh, he's been around, I think he was in One of Our Planets is Missing and in The Survivor, but I just didn't notice him. Um, and I didn't remember him from prior episodes, but he actually... he. I, he actually talks in this episode, and he's voiced by Jimmy Duhon, which is maybe not great. Both just, you know, yeah, not for, maybe for mul- multiple reasons. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> not not great for the obvious uh, obvious reasons of representation, and then also not great just because like probably you don't want Jimmy Duhon having too many conversations with himself. I mean, I think he does as good a job with that as you can, but you know, whatever. He's like, yeah, he's like, I, I can be. <laughs> I could be Scotty. I could be a cat. Yeah. <laughs> he could be. He could be the devil, as we saw. Yeah, the last devil. Episode. He's just filling out his resume, like it is. Yeah, yeah. And then, uh, yeah, no, I, I wouldn't mind. Uh, they should develop Gabler in the. Yeah, I think they've done a little to develop Eric's and Mares in the novels and the comics. They should develop Gabler some too. That would be cool. Uh, certainly, he's a better assistant to Scotty than that terrible assistant in the uh, the JJ movies. Oh no, I kind of like that dude, the little the little alien dude. I mean, I like him in the sense of it's good to have more aliens, but I don't like him in the sense that, oh uh, god, I hate the JJ movies. He's like a uh, he's like the little neem num dude from uh, Cloud City. Yeah, yeah, you're right. That's a good call. That's a good call. And yeah, he also got, and also I feel like I, I forgot to mention this, but I felt like they were going to Cloud City in that other uh, in the in the uh, lower decks episode. That planet they land, it looked like Cloud yeah. City from the outside. And then when they came down, it looked like Moss Eisley. So, yeah, yeah. Very Star Wars ish. I, I, I noticed the Moss Eisley influences. I didn't really notice the Cloud City, but you're right. You're right. It was them with, well, I guess they, they look like the Imperial officers with their hats and stuff when they're first trying yeah, to land. Yeah. Yeah. yeah um, makes sense. Yeah. So, I hadn't remembered that the Shore Leave, another thing I didn't remember about this episode is I hadn't remembered that the Shore Leave planet computer wanted to roam the galaxy, creating a computer liberation front. And it seems like this plot point was probably a pretty big inspiration on Lower Deck's treatment of uh, evil computers. It's like, Captain, they're using our computer to make their own computer. <laughs> that was my favorite line. Of the story. Yeah. And it's like, what you see are these robot arm hand things coming out uh-huh. in their engine room, but there's no gravity. So they're putting together this computer <laughs> and you're like, like, that wasn't on the old show, but then you're like, well, I never really saw like everything in the engine room, so maybe... I guess it kind of falls in that category of like spore drive and all the crap we never see again. <laughs> yeah, fair, fair. Although, I mean, I have many complaints about Star Trek Discovery, but at least they make clear that the spore drive is top secret. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, uh, Matt, were you surprised by the relative focus on cast members in this episode? I kind of was. I mean, maybe Kirk and Spock had to be somewhere, like the actors and just. Yeah, especially early in the episode, they were not in it much at all. They were more prominent towards the end, but they were not in it much at all. And McCoy, Sulu, and Uhura were pretty prominent throughout, which was, yeah, not the usual rhythm. It maybe seems like something the show was 
trying to do midway through its first season of like early in the first season it was very much kirk spock mccoy and really just kirk spock and now they really seem to be kind of trying to push sulu ahura scotty mccoy right i'm throwing out conspiracy theory stuff here bob but uh-huh. you think kirk and spock were paid per line oh that's interesting that's interesting i i don't i don't i tend to think no but maybe i'm wrong i'm just thinking that could be it because if they are then they're only going to use them sparingly and if you can get McCoy to say like half the talk, half the show, then you're good. Yeah. Well, and also as we noticed, uh, DeForest Kelly has really evolved as a voice actor <laughs> since the first episode. And Bob, that is why he is my character of the week. Because <laughs> I haven't seen McCoy have so much action since uh, uh, the movies. The Man Trap. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, I'll give it up to Sulu this week. It's nice to have two dynamic Sulu episodes in a row. Um, or actually, that's wrong because it's two two dynamic Sulu episodes in three weeks. Because Sulu wasn't that prominent in Magic's of Mingus two last you know, last week, but he was very prominent in the Infinite Vulcan. So two dynamic Sulu episodes in three weeks, and I really did enjoy his picnic at the end with McCoy, Alice, and the dragons. It was very sweet. Yeah, it was it was very uh, it was a fairy tale ending, Bob. <laughs> that it was, that it was. <laughs> and so with Matt, that, we can, a, and with that, we conclude this podcast. You you don't have another pitch for our listeners, Matt? Well, I mean, I kind of mentioned it already once, but I I have this idea that you know I wish they would have had a Trek cartoon in the '90s. Like, we need to design that shit, Bob. Matt, did you hear uh, Magical Barrett just on the microphone a minute ago? No, I didn't. Oh yeah, my cat, my cat purred. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> what if what if we just did that? But what if we just try to purr after everything we said? I can't even do it. I can't do a purr because my voice is too deep. Yeah, I can't. <laughs> yeah, that's how we should do our podcast now, Bob. Every time we say something, we should purr after it. Or even better, yeah. What I'll do, Bob, is I'll go in and every single time we speak, I'll just add the same purr effect. <laughs> that. <laughs> what a terrible idea. That's not the worst possible idea ever. Hey, we'll. I, I, I will say that while I was purring, uh, my cat started uh, pecking at my face because she was freaked out at the noise I was making. <laughs> That's probably what would happen. If... <laughs> I wonder if that happens if you like if a human purrs on the bridge. Yeah. Have you seen that meme of it's like uh, the cat looking confused and it's like the human speaking my language, yeah. getting the accents all wrong? <laughs> yeah. That's a fun game to play with your cat, honestly. They, they, freak, the yeah. fuck, they freak out. Well, it's weird because it's like the purring isn't something they do among themselves. It's just something they do to manipulate us. Yeah, and they just yeah. yeah they're, so they're, it's they're, like they're, it's like their it's like their outsider language. It's like if you had like an outsider and an insider language. Yeah, we were having this conversation, uh, my wife and I, about we think that maybe like animals, you know, they're mm-hmm. reincarnated. <laughs> it's like I can believe it. <laughs> so when you're taking care of an animal, you're taking care of somebody's lost soul. You know, you just, Aww. yeah, Aww. yeah, yeah. That's why they're so nice it, and they purr and they're happy. Maybe I shouldn't make fun of my cats. So yeah, she she just, she just, she's just trying to love you, Bob. And she wants you to clean her fucking litter box. That's what she wants. I, I, I should have done that yesterday. Yeah. I, I, need, yeah, I do she, need she, to do she, she, I do need to do that today before I go and sit in the theaters for three and a half hours. Yeah. <laughs> killers of the flower meal. Yeah, yeah. You're going to come back with a big pile of cat shit. She's going to be sitting there purring like Emress. <laughs> Well, no, what she does what she does is she just uh when I don't clean the the cat box in a timely manner she just pisses behind it oh god my cat sometimes will like just yeah she, my cat will just shit next to the box and I'll be like damn it 
It's like, got to shut shit on the floor. Sorry. That's what you humans do too, right? (laughs) If your toilet's clogged, you just shit on the floor. Shit on the floor. All right, Bob. Well, this has been a uh, great, uh, very, very feline episode of uh, Star Trek Lower Decks versus Filmation Star Trek. We are part of Uncanny Treks. I am Bob in Cascadia trying to keep my cat from knocking over my microphone. That is Matt in the Southland. Have a great night, everybody. Thanks for listening.